Up next on episode 57 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss the relationship between speed and skill, iPhone development, and the value of programming fundamentals from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. First of all, uh, yes, we got a lot of positive feedback from the Jason Calacanis podcast, which actually sort of surprised me. That's good, because you were very worried about that. I was worried that our developers would be like, oh, Ick, he's one of those business guys. Yeah, Jason's pretty cool, though. I mean, I, 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 I vetted, I listened to a couple podcasts he was on, and I gave him a thumbs up, so... Uh-huh. My gut I, feeling was it would be okay. He's like one of the smartest people I, 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 I ever talked to. Yeah, he, he's smart, but you know, I still don't agree that Mahalo is doing the right thing. No, uh, but that doesn't, uh, you know, yeah. He's just a smart guy. There's a couple of things about Mahalo. One is it sort of disturbs me that their traffic seems to be relatively flat. Like if it's really going to work, it should be taken off. Um. But, you know, maybe they'll change something and then it'll go up. And, uh, and, and also, yeah, I, to- I totally, uh, I, still, I still disagree with Jason. I really don't think that they should ever um, try to pay people for sex, so to speak, when well, everybody plus, wants like, to be why would you, sex. The yeah. only kind of economy, I think, on the web that you really want is the expert economy. I mean, we had this discussion a little mm-hmm. bit offline, but I want to mention it here. It's like even if you have a page about Angelina Jolie – you want somebody who's an expert on Angelina Jolie to be maintaining that page. Sure. Right? I mean, there's still value in that expert. Not somebody that got $2.50. Yeah, they're just like, oh, now I have to write a page about Angelina Jolie. You want somebody who's like, all I care about is Angelina Jolie. It's like my life is devoted to this person. I know everything about them. I mean, I know it sounds freaky, and it is freaky on some level. But it's no different than you know having you know a really good programmer talk to you about some really narrow programming topic. You want somebody whose passion is in that topic area and that to me says expert economy i mean that's the only it's the only kind of economy i really understand the only currency that makes sense to me on the web is expertise mm-hmm. so for him to propose that there's some other economy that can work is just like does not compute to me we got we actually got it's sort of interesting uh okay should we talk about that next here i got an idea of the next thing to talk sure. about um on, on the subject of the expert economy we got an email which I don't, it's not a really voicemail so i can't play it but it was somebody who's basically saying, you know, uh, the stack o- if Stack Overflow is really how you establish your expertise as a developer, um, this is unfair because the people Stack Overflow rewards the people who type answers the fastest, and it's like a real race, and you're competing against these real macho guys who just whiz in and type up really excellent answers in a quarter of a second, and. Um, and I think this person who was emailing us was sort of like, oh, this is kind of a bummer because, you know, I, I don't agree that that's a good way to I, – I don't think he was saying that that's not a good way to hire programmers. I think he was saying is that that sort of maybe rewards the wrong thing or in any case doesn't reward him for his, right. for his well, level of expertise. Is, well, this has come up before, you know. I mean, this is the whole fastest gun in the West sure. problem. But you know what? That's, but the truth is that's, there, there is something about being able to come up with answers quickly – that it just makes you, in some ways, you are a better developer because you come up with something quickly. Well, the speed, I mean, does matter. I mean, I, I will say that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one, it's one metric of by which you can measure somebody. Sure. One of I, I mean, mean, one of my, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories. Um, that I was uh-oh. telling. Uh oh, you heard it. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> this is the part. He's like, oh god, and everybody starts like trying to sneak out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is uh, you know the first interview question I used to do um, in interviews. The first time I met somebody for a job interview is I would ask them to code up something that was basically just a couple of if statements. 
Um, I, I, I won't tell anybody what it is, but but you know, very very simple um, problem that's just really really trivial to code up. I mean, really really trivial. And I had to start ask. I started asking this question because there was a period in about the year two thousand when the first dot com boom babies started getting laid off, right? So these are the people that never learned how to program, but they got jobs as programmers anyway because people were so desperate in 1999. Mm -hmm. And they were also the first people to get laid off. And they started showing up on the job market pretty heavily in 2000, 2001, about the time we were starting Fog Creek. And these people like did not know how to program at all, at all. And so wow. I had to start, and, and, they, and yet they had C, C++, Assembler, you know, you know, IBM 360 mainframe job control language all on their resume, <laughs> looking very <laughs> impressive. You know, I, yeah, and, and, and they had all built Amazon.com. And um, so I started asking them a very, very easy programming question at the beginning just to save time. And, and, and it, it didn't accomplish what I wanted because I thought that people would fail at this. And even the really bad, really weak programmers could do this. The trouble is the bad, weak programmers would take half an hour to, to get through this. Oh, wow. And the good programmers would just, they, they would solve it as fast as they could write. In other words, like literally, they could solve it, they were thinking faster than they could, they, they could write out the answer, because it really is that easy. And, was um, this kind of like uh, FizzBuzz, or was it? Uh, yes, it's much like FizzBuzz. It's, it's even easier. It's, it's surprisingly even easier. What is, t tell the listeners what FizzBuzz is. Well, FizzBuzz um, was a simple task to count to 15, and I think print numbers at, at 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 intervals of 3 and 5 i believe right I have so it in front of me you you basically print fizz if it's uh not divisible by 3 or 5 and you yeah. print buzz if it's divisible by 3 or 5 yeah th this problem is even easier than that cuz it really yeah wow. it doesn't have cuz fizz buzz has a loop uh an if statement and modulo right yep and print <laughs> So this doesn't have print, doesn't have a loop. Wow, so this is even it's, simpler. It's just wow. an if statement. Would, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to tell you. Yeah, I'll, fine, I'll tell people. No, I'll give, I'll give you an equivalent problem, which is not the same <laughs> Giving problem. away the secret? I'll give I don't you, think the type of people that you give the secret away to are going to matter for this one. It, it's, it's sort of something like, is John older than Mary? You know, it's like that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a little bit harder than that. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, uh, what, what, what happens when I ask uh, this question is that everybody gets it, but some people take a long time to think it out and they're carefully thinking it through and they really are kind of struggling. Some people just write really fast and they're done. And then we can move on to more advanced things. And it suddenly occurred to me that there was a very high correlation between the people I hired and the people that solved this problem as fast as they could write. And I told this story to Gary Cornell, uh, my publisher at A-Press, who used to be a math professor at the University of Connecticut. And... Um, before he became the best-selling author of Core Java and started A-Press, he was a math professor. And uh, he, uh, he said, you know, this reminds me of something Serge Lang said uh, to him. Serge Lang is a math professor at Yale who was very interested in math education. And um, Serge Lang, at the beginning of freshman calculus at Yale, gave people, f for no credit, took out a, told all of his students to take out a piece of paper and um, he uh, put a fairly simple equation up on the board and said, reduce this to its simplest terms. So this is basically ninth grade algebra. And, um, and then after like 30 seconds, he said, stop, and took all their pieces of paper. And some, some students were able to, to reduce this algebraic equation to its simplest form uh, as fast as they could write. And some of them really had to think about it and really had to work on it. That, I would have been in that category, that second category. And he said that the people that could do it quickly was an almost perfect predictor of who would get an A in the course. In other words, that really? was as good a predictor of math ability as an entire semester in calculus with problem sets every week and, you know, probably two midterms and a final. Was just like, really? how fast can you solve this simple algebra problem? It has nothing to do with calculus. It is used in calculus, but it's, it's a, uh, like a real simple uh, algebra problem. You can, uh, the whole story is in my book, Smart, and Get Things Done. Actually, let me let me see if I can find that. What the pro, What the uh, I can't remember the exact uh, equation. Uh, Cornell, page one hundred and eight. Smart and gets things done. It. Uh, oh yeah, you basically you had to simplify. Um, uh, yeah, our math majors will, will recognize this. Um, one over x plus h minus one over x quantity over h, um, which is something you do basically to figure out derivatives. And um, you just had to sort of simplify that too. It's uh, 
and um, and uh, it, it, it turned out that the people that could do this and the the Gary's theory and Serge's theory and my theory as well is that what happens is this allows you to identify the people that are so good at the basic operations that they are thinking at a higher level, right? Like the basic operations are just instinct to them. Like an if statement should be in, instinctive and intuitive. And if it is, then you can work at a much higher level. And the people that have to kind of struggle through that and they can get it, but they have to struggle through it are um, never going to be able to think at that higher level because they're still sort of struggling through those basic operations. Right. Well, that that totally makes sense. But I think there's another dimension to this too, which is sort of how fast can you type? How fast can you form coherent sentences mm-hmm. that I, I think is a different dimension. It's important too, but it's a different dimension. Like even if you could, somebody posted something on Stack Overflow, you intuitively knew, okay, here's what you need to do. But then right. it's like, well, how do I write this down? How do I communicate this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're also kind of optimizing for that, which isn't necessarily sure. fair to the people who are like, you know, brilliant programmers, but not so great at communication it's actually so you know what there's, there's another website that has been doing this kind of recruiting thing which is a top coder which has these you know little algorithm programming contests mm-hmm. and it's entirely funded by the big employers um you know the microsoft's and the googles of the world that want to hire a lot of you know cs students uh and one thing i've heard about top coder is the way to get a fast to- top coder score is not to write clean code at all i mean some of them write the hackiest because you're just you're just trying to ramp ramp through it very very quickly and uh the code is a ginormous mess usually uh, it's it, it's and it's not <laughs> the same type of programming that you would be using uh you know to write it to, to add a new f- piece of functionality in in excel uh and 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 if people programmed in the real world like they program in top coder then then code would be unmaintainable but that said this is still felt that this the, the aptitude to do well in top coder still correlates uh and or or predicts the ability to 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 perform well as a as a regular developer, right? Awesome. No, and and yeah. I do agree with that, but I would put some caveats around it because there's also value in the sort of longer, well-researched answer as well as the sort of quick. Okay, here's how you get past your block, right? Mm-hmm. There's also value, in, and I think you'll, you'll get upvotes for – like I know the, the things that I tend to upvote, and I actually noticed that Paul Graham, when we were having the whole discussion about Hacker News, had noticed there was a very high correlation of quality and length mm-hmm. in terms of posts on his site, right, Hacker right, News. Right, 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 right. And I tend to agree. Like if you have a, if you have a fairly long, writ, long response and you break it up and you have bulleted lists and, and images and pictures, it's just it's, – it's more – pleasant to read like it, it, it indicates like somebody put a lot of thought into it and i'm, I'm sure. very likely to upvote responses like that even it, yep. if they're not you know the number one accepted answer i will still go out of my way to vote you up because right. you put a lot of effort and it's a well formatted answer and the bottom line is yeah and that's what's going to get you a job on stack overflow it's not being able to dash off a quick answer that gets a lot of high votes like ta-da i know the answer you know which is almost just like playing Trivial Pursuit, it's the ability to write cohesive, long, coherent, well-thought-out things that are good explanations and that show a real depth of knowledge that you can demonstrate to an employer who says, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. Right. No, totally. It's, it's leaving a, and I've said it many times, and I'll continue to say it for as long as people will listen, is you want to leave a, a, a breadcrumb trail of your awesomeness on the web. Mm-hmm. And Stack Overflow is just another aspect of it. So look, you know, I have these really well-thought-out answers to, you know, problems that my fellow programmers have had and you know you can show that you're getting peer respect right the, your peers are acknowledging that you hey you kind of know what you're talking about and you can write reasonably well and answer and, and i don't think you have to answer every problem that comes up on the site i think you can also look for very narrow things that other people can answer you know i mean the popular questions are the ones that have the biggest audience so if you, i think if you get a little bit off the beaten trail sometimes you can find things um and right. related to that, Absolutely, yeah. this ties into Stack Overflow news. We have this badge called Tumbleweed. Are you familiar with the Tumbleweed badge? Um, that's for doing something I can't remember what to a question that's been abandoned or something. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> it's for asking a question with very low – that goes a full week with no answers, no comments, <laughs> and fairly low views. Right. And actually, there was a bug in it, and this was totally my fault. It was uh, a SQL bug having to do with null versus zero. Oh. <laughs> so it wasn't actually being awarded correctly, uh, but now it is. We fixed the bug, as people pointed out in user voice, that I'm an idiot, and I fixed it. And there's now 2,500 
uh, instances of this being awarded. Cool. So there, there are questions. This is my point is there are questions out there that nobody is really paying attention to, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it might be some oddball question that you don't care about. Right? That's the problem. But there's no shortage of, you know, obscure questions that are going to be in some narrow, you know, long tail yep. uh, topic matter that you might know better than anybody. So right. I would say, you know, bounce around. Don't try to, like, fight over the most popular questions. That's not really the intent of the site. Right, right. You know, there's a very long tail aspect to this as sure. well. And it takes, sometimes it takes patience. Like I've had people email me and say, you know, oh my God, I asked this question. And I really need this answer. And, and sometimes the answer is like, look, you've got to be patient. Like not every question is going to get like an answer in 10 seconds. There's a lot it of questions. On the question. Yeah. All the questions get answers in 10 seconds. There's a big body of questions that get an answer in a couple of days, which is sort of surprising. So you think if it's yeah. going to get answered, it'll get answered right away. But what happens is that they're just in, like, somebody's using an open source library that's not that common, but there are other people who use it. So, yep. um, and you just got to gotta have patience. I mean, the, not every question is created equally. So <laughs> you so, can't expect, you know, some really common question with C Sharp or Java is going to have the same answer pattern as some, you know, more offbeat technology. So this whole conversation about getting getting a job through Stack Overflow leads us to obviously we can announce now that there's a job board on Stack Overflow. Yep, that's right. That integrated with integrated with Joel and Software and Server Fault. So basically, how it works is that it's just one set of job listings. Um, the stuff shows up on Joel and Software, on Stack Overflow, and on Server Fault. The only difference with Server Fault is that the sysadmin slash network administrator jobs. Um, just show up on the top of the list instead of it's just a different sort order. Um, but other than that, all three sites uh, show the same job. Um, we had, uh, I, I think we're gonna, we, we had about two hundred and twenty thousand uh, unique viewers um, a month, not a month, in twenty-one days. Two hundred twenty thousand per twenty-one days uh, unique visitors uh, to the Jaw and Software listings. Uh, I think that'll just about double. Um, when Stack Overflow, uh, when this, when we get the, the the traffic with the additional traffic from Stack Overflow and Server Fault, so um, it's you're, you're probably looking at maybe four hundred thousand people will see will see a job if you if you post it, right? There, and um, this is uh, I, I mean, we're not really announcing this yet, but this is about the first part of a uh, long term strategy to try to help people get great jobs. Uh, and help people hire great programmers through Stack Overflow. Yep. I mean, that ties into the whole, you know, breadcrumb trail of awesomeness we were talking about. Exactly. So if you if you are the type of developer that you're, you're actually looking for gigs, you know, we want to make that easier and more explicit so you can kind of opt in to that area of the site. Mm-hmm. And this is completely optional, to be clear. Like, if you're not, you know, you can just come to the site, use it normally. You can ignore all this other stuff. This is in no way mandatory or required part of the experience. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully will not be obtrusive in any way, and hopefully helpful to those people that, you know, are kind of looking yeah. to find something better. Yeah, which is, you know, one of the things that always drove me crazy as an employer is that you had to ask people for a cover letter and a resume, and then you got what you got. And you couldn't tell people, you know, please submit a code sample, because half the time they wouldn't. You couldn't tell people, you know, or, you know, a code sample that they submit is a reasonably meaningless like you probably you couldn't get the right you couldn't get the right kind of information out of people that you really needed to to decide whether or not to hire them or even to interview them through a traditional cover letter and a resume which is just a standardized format that people use to get jobs at dunkin donuts and well actually dunkin donuts they fill out a form but you know to get jobs at you know bloomingdale's or whatever and and so it's a very hey i just realized there's a clock i can see from my office all the way across the river Sorry. What? I'm glad you're really paying attention to the podcast. That's great. <laughs> There's like a gigantic clock. It must be 10 stories high, five stories high in Jersey City, which I can wow. see from my office. And I can even tell what time it is. That's Jersey time, though. That's not New York time. No, it's a different time zone, but I can just add. No, it's not. It's the same time zone. <laughs> that would be cool if it was a different time zone. That would be weird. Yeah. Um. What we've done. So, anything else on jobs. job stuff? Nah, not that, not that much. So, anyway, if you're looking to hire somebody great, um, go ahead and try posting it on the on the job ad. We have the only job listing service in the known universe where you get your money back if you don't like the results that you get. So, it's sort of a no risk thing. Ah, cool. Jobs. I should. I also want to. I guess I'm doing the announcements this week. Stack Overflow Developer Days. Oh yeah, that's right. New cities, right? Yeah, we added five more cities. 
Um, basically, what happened is that we we opened it up in five cities originally, and we said we're going we're gonna to allow 300 people to register because we hadn't even booked the halls yet. And it's pretty easy to get halls with 300 people. And, uh, you know, they just sold out, like, instantly, even though this isn't happening until November. Um, they sold out pretty much, you know, within three or four days. Um, so the first five cities were Toronto, uh, Washington, D.C., London, Seattle, and San Francisco. Um, except for London, which has now sold 800 seats. So they're going to be wow. 800 people in London. And we already have the hall f- for that, and it holds 800, I believe. Um, where uh, We um, decided to uh, allow, I don't know, di- slightly different numbers in every city. Um, and I don't really know what it is, but you can still register for Toronto, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and San Francisco, but there's like 30 seats left in each of those cities, something like that. So um, hurry up if you want Toronto, D.C., Seattle, or San Francisco. The five new cities that we opened up were Boston, uh, Massachusetts, Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, California, and you're going to be at that one, right, Jeff? Yeah, I'll go to that one. Jeff is going to come down for the day um, to Los Angeles, and um, two more in Europe, um, one in Cambridge, the United Kingdom. Special thanks to Neil Davidson from Redgate Software, who made that possible, and uh, in Amsterdam, which will be our one mainland Europe thing. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good, because I know there's a lot of demand for a mainland Europe one. So yeah, it's great. And and Amsterdam is really easy to get to um, from all over uh, Europe. It's you know a few hours on by train or half an hour by plane from most of the population. Cool. Well, that's great. I'm glad we opened up more cities because there was a lot of requests for that. So. Yeah. So so far we've got two thousand four hundred people. Oh my god. Total wow. registered. Uh, and that was before we opened those additional five cities. So um, we'll probably get another 1,500 or so from those, those, those extra five cities. And that should be a lot of fun. I'm starting to line up speakers. Um, we've got speakers on ASP.NET MVC, on jQuery. The, there's a jQuery evangelism team. And they're awesome. They, they went and got speakers for us. Um, we're hoping to get um, some more speakers from Google. Um, John Skeet will be speaking in London. Right. Um, we're going to line up some academic speakers. Uh, I'll be speaking in all 10 cities. Um, a little bit about fog bugs, but also just a sort of generic, like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I have to, this is supposed to be the fog bug seven launch event. So I have to say something about fog bug seven, but I, I really don't like doing speeches that are just like pure marketing speeches. I'm not going to do that. Right. No, that'd be boring. Yeah. Well, cool. That's great news. Looking forward to it. I know that, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the the last event I went to, and I'm sure this is a I think a much better event actually. Yeah. So this is I think I would if I wasn't getting free tickets, obviously because I'm involved in this thing. I would. It's the kind of thing I would definitely go to. Oh no, you're paying. It's just you're fun. Paying. We'll we'll make you pay. I'm paying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. From your salary. Okay. So Stack Overflow Dev Days. Anyway, uh, yeah, check it out. The place to go for that is StackOverflow.Carsonified.com. Uh, Ryan Carson of Carsonified is doing handling all the logistics of the show. He puts on that feature of web apps show, and he does a pretty good job with those one-day shows. So um, we had him come in to do this as well. I also want to give those guys a tip of the hat. That, that design for that site is really beautiful. I really like the, the HTML, CSS they came up for that site. is really striking. Oh, yeah. Very impressed. Very impressed with their design skills. Very impressive. Uh, wait, hold on. Let me see who that is. Uh, dum 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 dum. Mike. Sorry, I guess I should. Have Mike. <laughs> and he works for Carsonified, right? Yeah. Mike, I, yeah. I can't figure out how to pronounce his name. Kuz, Kuz, Kuz. It's K-U-S. How would you pronounce that? Oh gosh, you're asking me. Mike. I'm the worst person to ask. It couldn't be Kuz, could it? Kuz, Kuz. I don't know. But anyway, Mike. Great job. Nice design there. Very um, nice design. Okay, what else? We have a data dump. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. So <clears throat> that that eventually floated up to the top of our user voice list. What happens is we keep satisfying a lot of the top user voice requests. So stuff that was lower down the list from months ago, you know, eventually gets enough votes and gets to the top of the list and... This happened to be on the top of the list. It, it wasn't my favorite item just because, not because I don't want to do it, but because I was just afraid of doing the wrong thing here, releasing, you know, private data. Private wild. data, right. Um, but we, we've had, we had a little bit of lull time, and I, I, wanted to, I did want to knock it off. And, and Greg Hugel, 
uh, from New Zealand was kind enough to help us by testing betas of the dump, mm-hmm. making sure we just didn't get anything too horribly wrong with it. Um, and that said, we still made some mistakes. We've actually had another release that just went out, and we're doing it through BitTorrent. Mm-hmm. We are seeding. We're a permanent seed on the BitTorrent, so you can still download it in the traditional way. So this is a database of every single question and answer on Stack yes. Overflow. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should have said that up front. Yeah, this is this is a dump of every question and every answer and every user, all the, just the public parts. Like. Right. Yeah. So our rule, uh, our rule was everything that you can see from the website that you could theoretically scrape anyway is yeah, exactly. in the data, and but that, any that was internal data is, yeah. 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 It was like, I mean, you could, there are sites that are already scraping the heck out of us. I mean, we try to block some of them because they get really aggressive about how they scrape us. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and, and we were Creative Commons licensed. Right. Uh, so we just have to, like, you guys own the data as much as we own it. I mean, it's communal ownership. Like, you know, everybody benefits from this data being out in the world, right? These answers and these questions. Mm-hmm. So we totally believe in the philosophy of sharing it. And, and also we're interested in see what people can do as far as the data analysis side. And, and you, it sounds like you saw Brent Ozar's video yeah. put together about yeah. slicing and dicing. I think I tweeted about that. Yeah. We'll link to that from the show notes. He, he's actually trying to just plan around with the data to see what interesting stuff he can discover. You know, you know, one interesting thing we discovered was that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not really a fan of XML, as I'm sure you know, but XML is a really common data interchange format and ends up being, you know, it's supported by almost everything. Mm-hmm. So initially, we we're going to do comma-separated value just because we thought, okay, this will be simple. We're using uh, BCP behind the scenes to make this, which is like the SQL Server bulk copy program. It's the fastest it's, way to get data in and out of SQL Server. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it puts a lock on the tables, which is annoying, like while it's doing its work. Um, but we, we had problems with CSV, which is the, the classic problem with CSV. Is like, how do you encode carriage turn? How do you encode commas? How do you encode quotes? Things that normally appear as you know reserved characters in CSV. So Greg recommended we switch to XML. We eventually agreed because we realized that there's no sane way to do this encoding. At least XML has some kind of sane encoding rules. Yeah, CSV and then is after really we, dumb. Yeah, it's it's a really really kind of brain damaged format, um, which maybe is perfect for us. But <laughs> eventually we went to XML, and then we found that there's there's a set of characters that aren't even allowed in XML, <laughs> which we didn't realize we had these characters in the database until we started to actually publish this. Sadly, well, it I, depends. I should on... Apologize. We should have validated our stupid XML before we published, but now it does validate, and it was it's basically like escape characters. Um, Wait, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, huh. but Why there's a whole they, range of characters that you can't even encode in XML. How do they get in our database then? Uh, people are just pasting stuff in from like their editor, and it's not. It wasn't many. It was, you're talking to like maybe 100, 200 records total out of like you know. And we're not talking about like Unicode characters, which are encoded as no. with using like the the uh, ampersand pounds. No, the, seven, no, six, the, the, like Chinese gone. characters or characters from other languages. Those are all allowed. These yeah. are like. Essentially, tend to be unprintable control characters, hmm. like escape type characters, uh, ack things right. like that. Right. You know, those low ASCII characters. Bell. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we were going through the database and thinking, like, How these does, characters have yeah. no value. Like, we don't even allow those. We actually had to put a screen on the data input sure. to stop allowing them right. from coming in because, like, I, I couldn't see any value for anyone in having these characters. In the and data those at can't. All. Those can be encoded in XML. You just have to use the same kind of uh, ampersand pound decimal thing. No, not according to the XML spec. If you look at the XML spec, there's certain characters they just don't allow. Period. Hmm. Okay. You cannot have them. Got it. Yeah, I know. I didn't realize, but yeah. We found that out when we belatedly validated our stupid XML. Fair enough. The other thing we realized is how <laughs> BCP puts everything on one giant line. You know what's really not fun? And I know Jeff was cursing this for like a day before we finally did this. Was It would output every record on the same line. So you have one giant line. <laughs> Just you're like, oh, you to the right, error Jeff. On column, error on column 7.2 billion. <laughs> and you had to like go to that column. And it wouldn't tell you what the error was. This is... This leads to a whole other rant on like error messages. Sure. It's like, okay, you have an error at this column position. Could you maybe tell me what the error is? <laughs> you know, like what the character is there, like why you don't like it. You know? Right. Oh, it was just nightmarish. So finally, we obviously put in carriage returns, so every record is on its own line, which is much more sane. But it was, it was sort of a comedy of errors. It was the kind of thing where like, oh, this won't take very long. 
I'm not a kid. And I knew in the back of my head, I was like, this is this is one reason why I've been putting this off. It's like, I know this is going to take longer than I think it should. Yeah. Well, and, nothing uh, can possibly think, work right the first time. Yeah. But I, I think we're good think. now. And, and uh, you know, I, I really believe in giving this data back to the community because everybody's contributed all this time to the site. And really, it's the least we could do in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it out there. And we'll see if, you know, the, the army of clone sites spring up. I'm not actually that worried about it because there already were clone sites anyway. Like, I could point to a site that has scraped almost everything we have and has put AdSense on it. It's already out there. I don't mm-hmm. want to mention any names because I don't want to give them any publicity, but it's already out there. So, yeah. So that's the data dump. Data dump. That's awesome. Um, there will be links in the show notes if you want to get yes. the data and not scrape us. So you bad uh, another semi-related topic. Mm-hmm. So there's a new iPhone, right? You've oh, about yes. That. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to buy one. Yeah, and then WWDC is going on, I believe, as we speak still in San Francisco, mm-hmm. near here, near me. Um, and I did want to mention that Stack Overflow has become really kind of a hub for a lot of iPhone activity. And it's funny because yeah. Joel and I, when we were first setting this up, Joel was like, we gotta, we got to get on one of these hot programming trends like iPhone. I said that? It's <laughs> like. You did <laughs> using those exact words? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, like we gotta get on top of this iPhone thing, and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. We didn't. We didn't have time to really follow up on it. But the, the funny thing about that comment is, we Stack Overflow has become a very popular destination for iPhone developers. Sure. And I think this is really a reflection of just what's actually popular in the world, right? More so than we solicited iPhone developers. Well, there just also to be- some of the other some of the other uh, programming environments that have been around for longer already have established places. They have on, online forums, news groups, they have IRC channels because they've been around forever where people ask questions and get answers and they're used to going there. And, you know, some of that is starting to move to Stack Overflow, but iPhone development just wasn't so established when, when Stack Overflow came along. Uh, Right. When did how does how does this compare in time when when the iPhone SDK it, it, became available? It, it's pretty close because yeah. you figure we we were in beta and we went public in September two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. So during the late summer, that's when we were sort of in beta. Right, and which is when when the, the iPhone development was starting to heat up. Yeah, it really heat up because the App Store and all that stuff. I think and in the meantime, really Apple big. did a very poor job of providing uh, places for people to ask and help to, to basically help each other. They did not provide any kind of knowledge exchange. Uh, That's right. Themselves. So it was sort of, and, and they made all their developers sign this ridiculous non-disclosure agreement that was basically said you will not talk to other developers about Apple <laughs> ever. Uh, yeah. And so, so the the combination to, to, was just sort of a perfect storm for Stack Overflow. Yeah, totally. So we have a tremendous amount of energy around iPhone programming, and I think that's great because, again, it's just a reflection of what you know real programmers are actually doing out in the world. There's a lot of people doing iPhone development. It's a very active segment yeah. uh, of the community. And one thing I would, did want to mention is there's there's a podcast, um, the Mobile Orchard podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Stack Overflow so much, they actually have a, a section on their site called the Best of Stack Overflow for iPhone Developers. Oh, cool. And this is run by a guy named Dan Grigsby. Subscribe. He, calls, he says it's the number one iPhone developer news site and podcast. And I just want to mention them because they've been highlighting us all this time. All right. Uh, okay, yeah. we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too, if you want to subscribe, yeah. which I will. And, and I think I am going to actually uh, make... The jump. I'm gonna actually get an iPhone. Probably, probably I guess I'll get the GS. Although the $99 yeah. one is tempting, but nah, just get the the GS. you know, I um, I, I I wrote this long article because I was basically evaluating the three. Was it, I guess it was the 3G had just come out, and I just didn't want to wait in line. And um, what I bought bought then was a Nokia E71, which is an awesome phone. It's got a keyboard. It's really nice. But it, literally in the year since the the 3G came out. The number of apps available on the App Store has grown so dramatically that I, I suddenly realized that 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 they there is stuff that if I had it on my phone I would not be willing to give it up. There's a few things, and there's a few apps there that I just really really want. I want the Amazon Book Reader. I want the uh, Sonos controller that, that there's an iPhone version of, and you know a few other things that, that like if I had them I wouldn't I wouldn't give them up. I, that would just be like pretty incredible. So I'm probably going to switch this Nokia um, to an iPhone. And I feel like Nokia, by not having an app store 
and not really successfully. I mean, they do. They have that Avi thing or something, but but they don't have nearly the same number of developers as Apple does. Um, Apple, I think, is just going to have an insurmountable lead now. Oh, I've been think I've been saying this for months and months and months. Yeah, I, I think Apple is so far ahead now; it's just comical. And I feel kind of bad for like the the Palm Pre. Yeah, like which actually has been getting really semi positive reviews. But I just don't no way, see yeah. how that can survive. Right I mean, now, even, it's just a race for for apps, and and they're so far behind on that that they're, they're that you can you never catch up if you only have one quarter of the app developers developing on your platform. Which they, Palm is going to have a lot less than that. They're going to have, if they're lucky, 5% of the number of developers that are developing on the iPhone platform. And there's just no way they can ever catch up. You know, is it, if you're Sonos and you're trying to decide whether to make a Sonos, um, by the way, uh, for, for those of you that don't know, don't know, Sonos is a system where you buy these little boxes and you put them throughout your house with speakers attached to them and allows you to basically have a whole house music system. They all magically communicate with each other using Wi Fi totally transparently they build their own mesh and um, you can play uh, all your iTunes music from any computer in the house you can p- play um, Rhapsody you can play Sirius um, there's a whole bunch of other things you can do and um, the, the, when, when the Sirius first came out they, they shipped their own controller which is basically which basically looks like if you can imagine an iPhone and then make it like four times larger and fatter and give it a docking station that's what their controller was and it was this really kind of clunky way of um, choosing what music was playing in what rooms and setting the volume and that kind of stuff. And um, when the first, uh, you know, when the first, uh, when the App Store first came out, Sonos immediately published for free for Sonos uh, uh, users um, a controller that is on an iPhone app. So you can basically use your iPhone or your iPod Touch and use it to control your Sonos system. And it is cheaper and better than the controller that they were making. So it's kind of stupid now to buy a Sonos controller. You can just buy an iPod Touch and download this app for free, and you just got a better user interface, and it's slick and smooth and stuff like that. So that's one, one tiny example. But imagine that you're at Sonos, and you're sitting there trying to decide what cell phones should I support. Well, let's see. There's the iPhone, and you'll, you'll have, I don't know how many have been sold, 10 million? Is that, do you have any idea how many iPhones how, are How many there? apps are on? No, how many uh, iPhones there are in the world? Oh, I have no idea. How many? I'm going to type it into how many iPhones have been sold. Wiki answers around 21 million. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. Here's a, here, let's see what Mahalo says. <laughs> Mahalo says 13.7. All right. So, so there's, there's somewhere between 10, 10 million and 20 million iPhones out there, and there's 25,000 Palm Prix. Now, who are you going to support? What are you going to write your Sonos controller for? Obviously, you're going to write it for iPhone first. And then maybe as a distant second, you'll think about all those other platforms. Well, also to interject real briefly, Mm -hmm. it's my understanding that the pre-programming environment is very much like HTML, CSS at the moment in JavaScript. It's not like you can't write games. Like you don't really have low-level access to the hardware like you do on the iPhone. So I think it's not even really that great of a development environment in terms of actually doing things on the phone. So it's not... It's not even comparable yet. Right. So I think they've got a long way to go there. And right. You know what's funny about the iPhone strategy? It's, it's the most Microsoft-like strategy yes. I've seen Apple this ever do. This is exactly – they're doing a Microsoft to Microsoft. Yeah, because it's all about the developers. They, yep. they have su- such development energy mm-hmm. around the iPhone. That's that what made Windows successful. Else. That's why nobody – even to this day, people don't buy Macs because there's one piece of software that they need that only runs on Windows. Yeah. No, the iPhone is huge. I've, I've been saying on Twitter that I think the iPhone is as important, if not more important, as the original Mac to Apple, I think, in the long term. I, think I it's, really believe that. I think it's like a Windows-like accomplishment for Apple to have achieved that level of. Now, here's, here's sort of an interesting story. When you, let, you know, your number one choice, if you want to be a mobile developer, your number one choice has got to be iPhone. It has to be. There's a, there's a store. It's all taken care of for you. You're going to get 10 million, 20 million phones that can run your software. And the awesome thing is you only have to develop to one platform, really, because they're all pretty much the same hardware-wise. Um, right. They have the same size screen. They have the same keyboard. They have the same in- input-output. Um, they don't all exactly have, you know, some of them have GPS and some of them don't. So you have to 
take that into account, but that's, that's, that's relatively a small thing compared to, let's say, the world of uh, Symbian, of S60, which my Nokia runs, where every mm-hmm. single device has different keyboard, different buttons in different places, different oh, uh, size yeah. screen, different capabilities. Some of them are... Wasn't this the Java problem? The whole, oh yeah, Java yeah. Mobile, they call that? Yep, it's Java like, yeah, Mobile okay. has the same problem. Windows Mobile has the same problem. <laughs> Everybody has the same problem. And what that means is it's bad enough that your phone platform only has a million phones out there, let's say, instead of 10 million phones. But then you have to fragment it. You really have to write eight different versions of every app. And it's almost like you're deliberate, you're, you're, you're losing, you're, you're taking your million users and you're dividing them up among 19 different hardware devices, all of which have to be tweaked and coded for. And to a developer, let's say the guy at Sonos who's just trying to decide what phones to port their controller app to, they're all too small to care about. If there was a single Nokia standard for all Nokia phones everywhere in the world, that would be a large enough platform to develop for. That would be bigger than iPhone. That would be a lot bigger than iPhone. Um, but there isn't. There's 90 different ways you can, you, can, you can code for Nokia phones, depending on which one you have. And that's Nokia's problem. And, and uh, um, once again, the same thing with Windows. What the heck? Windows Mobile has not done anything since iPhone came out. Nothing. Well, the- the rumor is that there's they're rebooting the franchise, but God knows how long that's going to take. Ugh. But it, they're it just doing it at Microsoft speed. You know, everything on Microsoft is it's long. I yeah. don't know. It just takes them forever to move anymore. Yeah, because well, nobody you know, people, there is hungry. Well, there, there there are some dim lights of hope. Like people seem pretty excited about the Zune HD. I've seen some pretty favorable impressions of that. So if you could sort of take that experience and turn it into a phone platform. Jeff, but, I think that says more about the people you hang out with. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm talking about like Engadget and places like that. They uh, are very favorable really, impressions not just, of that. Not just your friends on the .NET developer no, news groups. No, not just the guy with the Zune tattoo. That's not the well, only was, person. There was something else about Zune HD besides HD that was going to be the big killer feature. I don't remember. But there are some lights of hope, and certainly Xbox has done well, and... It's just all about execution. I mean, I think any, you know, it's it's not specific to one company. It's just you got to execute. Mm-hmm. Really? So, yeah. yeah, but anyway, so coming I mean, how full long, circle on iPhone. How, how hard would it have been for Microsoft to come up with a good web browser? They, they still got, they're still shipping Pocket Internet Explorer as a piece of trash, utter, utter, utter yeah. garbage. It shows yeah. one out of 30 websites with anything, with with even moderate usability. Like, forget usability. Like, like... One out of 30 websites that you go to with Pocket Internet Explorer, is it even possible to get information which is on that homepage if you scroll for 16 hours? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. And the other 29 out of 30 websites, you just get a blank page, and it's just downloading yeah. endlessly, and then you get a big, well, bo- big square. Yeah, no, Garbage. totally. I mean, I think iPhone totally changed the game for smartphones, and mm-hmm. Windows Mobile is still not adapted to the new realities of the marketplace yet. But I think, like I said, they're rebooting the franchise. The rumor I heard was going to be it was going to be a Silverlight type platform. That that was going to be the sort of the programming environment. There you mobile. go. There's Microsoft playing their paying the playing their paying. Is it playing paying? There you go. Microsoft is paying the strategy tax again. The stupid phone mobile group now has to support Silverlight. Well, why don't but, Why don't they yeah. just make it Flash? Just forget it. The best thing for a mobile phone would be if they supported something that at least existed in one other platform. And Silverlight is already losing. I hate to say this, and the, if if you had an independent company that made mobile phone software, there is no way you would choose Silverlight over Flash. You would totally go with Flash. So here, Microsoft is being forced to reboot their mobile thing to use Silverlight. In other words, they have to choose the distant second technology because of the Microsoft strategy tax, and they're being forced to lose, to make the loser choice once again because they have to support some other group at Microsoft that's also not doing their job. And them's fighting words on Silverlight. You know, yeah. There's a lot of Silverlight admirers out there. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a lovely developer platform. The developers that look at it are like, this is really awesome, and it doesn't matter because it's not out there. And, and you know what? The, 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 the few people that got p- bribed enough, NBC, the New York Times, et cetera, to implement uh, Silverlight-type platforms in the first round of trying to, trying to push this stuff on people by paying for it, and, and even they're dropping like flies. Well, that's partially true. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I want to defend Silverlight just because I'm not really that big of a fan of Flash, and I would like to see a, at the very least, I would like to see a Coke, Pepsi type dynamic. I would I don't love really to want, see that. I would love to see that. I mean, because it's not like I want Flash to take over the world either. Honestly, I would. I, and, and okay, right. well, let me tie this to the another 
tech news item. Yeah. The whole Google Wave thing. Like, oh, on, yeah. on one level, like, I've been critical of Wave on, on Twitter. And part of it is because I look at it and I sort of see Lotus Notes. I'm like, you're building Lotus Notes, right? That's a problem for me. <laughs> Wait, have you seen Lotus Notes? <laughs> yes, I've used Lotus <laughs> Notes. I had to use it as a mail platform. It had those big, gigantic icons that were all drawn with what looked like DOS OEM oh. fonts. No, let, let us not speak of the uh, Lotus Notes. It's yeah. an unspeakable crime against computing. No, it's just an ancient, ancient piece of technology. Yes. Uh, but for my problem with Wave, and I think you brought up some Dave Weiner post that I kept flashing back to, is that if you can't look at something and sort of understand what it's good for, or like get the message in the first five minutes, then it, there's something wrong with it. And that was kind of my reaction to Wave. It was like, okay, this is cool, but what, what is this? Like, why would I want to use this? Like, I wasn't getting it, like, at all. Yeah. And that was kind of my problem with Wave. But the thing I did like about Wave, and I think Google is totally on the right track, is that they were hardcore about, hey, we're going to use HTML5. We're not going to use Flash. We're not going to use uh, Silverlight, God mm-hmm. forbid. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to use web standards, and we're right. going to push web standards to right. actually build this thing. And I totally respect that. Like, I get that totally. And I think that is the, the high road for these companies to take. And you don't see Microsoft taking that with Silverlight. You don't see Adobe nope. taking that with Flash. But I think it's the right thing for Google to do. And this is certainly evidence of the, the don't be evil. It's like, okay, we're not going to push some proprietary Google thing. We're going to say, hey, we're going to build this on open standards. We're going to actually push the standard forward to make this possible. And that's what Microsoft, that's awesome. exactly what Microsoft should be doing with their phone, with their mobile platform. They, they could totally do that. They could totally take the high road. Oh, you're so right. There's yeah. a million strategies that would be better for Microsoft. Emulating the iPhone would be a better strategy for Microsoft. Just wow. getting their own Objective-C <laughs> compiler and replicating all those Next Step APIs would be a better strategy for Microsoft. Because they're going to have to at some point. At some point, if they don't run the software that the developers are writing, then their platform is not going to be interesting to people that want to run software. And, th- right. and, and if smartphones are, are really going to be as successful as they are, that's their only that's their only hope. Same, same story with Palm. At least Palm is kind of hoping that maybe they can make an alternate high-road HTML slash JavaScript standard. And, you know, if I were Microsoft, I would at least get on that bandwagon, if nothing else, and just right. say, you know what? We're going to support the exact same standard as Palm Break. Well, I don't think that's, that strategy, the HTML CSS type strategy, really works. Because I know when, when that was the strategy on iPhone, there was a lot of complaining, right? Like, I remember wait, Will wait, wait. There's a difference. About- There's a huge difference. One is what, when, that, when that was the strategy on the iPhone, you had to be connected to the web over on the slow edge network. And that's oh, very different than a locally running HTML app that's running, uh, that, that you install and you run locally and it's going to be fast okay. and performance and stuff like that. The other thing okay. is, I'm, I'm not really sure, I haven't looked at Palm Pre, but I'm 99% sure that... They've added all kinds of features to JavaScript. So uh, I I would suspect that there's the ability, for example, to start a phone call or use the camera to take a picture that, you know, regular web browser JavaScript doesn't have. Oh, I see. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that. I I think so. Somebody, if if, if I'm wrong, somebody please call call the the Stack Overflow hotline and (laughs) bitch me out. I think this is the first time we we would have ever been wrong about anything. No, we... (laughs) There should be a historical marker erected right here. It doesn't even. I can turn off this Stack Overflow hotline right now because there's no chance. You want to take a? (laughs) You want to take a listener question before we go away? Yes, let's do that. Okay, right here. I've I've actually got two that I want to do. Why is that one so much bigger than that one? Huh. Um. All right. Let's uh, let's let's do this one first. Josh Hunt. I'm Josh Hunt, and I'm from Australia. Um, Australia. Earlier this week, I asked you question. uh, Question. Eight nine five three seven one 8, on 9, Stack 5, Overflow, 3, um, and the first uh, answer um, was the one that was voted up. Got the you know ended up getting the most votes after a while, um, and it's still currently the highest voted answer. Um, but then a couple commenters came in and said that the answer was wrong, and. Um, that Stack Overflow has kind of failed in this aspect because it kind of seems to permeate this community that um, thinks that the first answer is always the best answer. And so people kind of don't read the question properly or try and don't understand it properly and go write down an answer that's inevitably wrong, but everyone just marks up as correct. Um, ends up as the highest voter, highest voted question, answer, sorry. Um, so, what do you guys think of this? Um, you know, a couple commenters went on there and, and, and stated that it was wrong. 
and kind of thought this would just be an interesting problem um, with Stack Overflow and the original answer of that answer, the author of that answer come in and kind of admitted his um, fault there. And for the second part of this question... Ah, wait, wait, okay. Let me hold off. There's a good there's a good second part here, which I'll get to in a second, Josh, but... Um, what was the number of the question again? Do you have it up? 895371. No. Five. Yeah. 895371. Eight, okay, I should bring this up. So it's uh, he's got a homework uh, assignment that he plugged in here, um, and it uh, it wasn't working right. And so he asked people to say, what's wrong with his code? And the, the number one answer is a little bit wrong, but it's right in the same... It's, it's kind of in the right direction, it just happens to be technically wrong. Now, I, I want to point out that these have already been resorted a little bit by the voting. So it's just a, it is just a, um, it's just a matter of time before people will come in and correct these things. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the first thing is, is uh, Josh, I don't see that you've accepted any answer. So yeah. why don't you go in there and find the right answer and accept it? Problem solved. Yeah. Like you, you know right. what it is by now. And, right. Uh, well, that's a good point, though, because people are constantly criticizing the fact that uh, the owner can accept any answer, yeah. right? <laughs> in so, this case, that this is a case for the owner actually improving the situation by accepting right. a correct answer and moving it above the highest voted answer. Sure. Um, so that's number one. Number two, there's some, real, there's some really good answers in there. Um, if you scroll down a little bit, Wesley put together a really, really good answer. Um, there are some nice answers here. Yeah, the fir- the first problem is that your 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 code is a little bit confusing because you have a variable named unsorted, and it should probably be called sorted just because it's when you have a double negative, it just gets more confusing <laughs> than when you just have a single negative. You don't not want that to be right. You don't not want to. Well, you don't not not <laughs> want to use double negative <laughs> in your code because this is a little, and and a, and a few people have pointed that out that you should probably just call it sorted and then your code. Um, becomes a little bit clearer and easier to understand. And that, that, that's, that was exactly my intuition, too. The first thing you do is um, – because uh, to, 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 I couldn't even understand what the code was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but also, don't forget, I mean, there are comments in here. And uh, um, the, 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 the fact that the right answer is wrong um, was pretty much discovered immediately. So the truth is, if somebody else had a similar problem, or I mean, you yourself could look at this and actually figure out the right answer, and we've done a better job of that. And it's only a matter of time before everybody goes in there and votes up the the correct answer. Well, yeah. Now that now that we have, gosh, what's the name for this effect that 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 factory where they're doing that testing, they would adjust the lighting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, the, the Hawthorne name. effect. The Hawthorne effect is going to – because this is what happens on the podcast. We talk about a question. It totally changes the question. Oh, because everybody's in there after the podcast. No, yeah, but even – but then, I, I just want to announce that as of now, the wrong answer only has five upvotes. And um, the, the, next, the next one after that has four. I haven't studied that to see if that's correct. Uh, and there's a pretty good answer here that has four. And what I think is the best answer currently is, is – I think is Wesley's answer, and he currently has two. But um, it's it, it's it, it's going to reshuffle pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, and, and uh, also kudos to Josh because uh, this is a good example of how to ask a homework question in a sort of respectful and helpful and interesting way. Yeah, um, that's good because we do get a lot of homework questions that are just gratuitously bad. Sure. Uh, and kudos to Josh for doing it uh, the right way. Yeah, he he said, "Hey, this is homework." Um, yeah, first be upfront about it. Make yep. it useful. Yeah, tag right. it homework. Because a lot of times some of the homework questions are so weird. It's like, okay, take these numbers and do this crazy thing to them. It's like, who would ever do this? You and, know? That's, and, yes, and sometimes the, with the homework questions, especially one like this, is like you just need to learn something and somebody can teach it to you. And there's just no way to search for that thing that you need to learn <laughs> on Google. You're like, what don't I know here? <laughs> it's yeah. like sort of like the old BC cartoon where the guy goes to take uh, golf lessons and the golf expert says, all right, let me see your stroke. And so the the, the, the student, you know, goes out and does a little golf stroke. And the, the golf expert says, well, not bad, not bad. And he says, really? What am I doing right? And the golf expert says, taking lessons. <laughs> but <Ba-dum-bum. laughs> Okay, that's funnier in print. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes you just want somebody to tell you what the heck it is that you did wrong. And, and you're, you know, you show the code and 
you know, any expert can figure that out. And that's exactly why we have knowledge exchanges. And just because it happens to be for homework, if anything, that's probably a more legit cause than if you're posting some bug that you had because you had to do this for work. Because after all, you're getting paid to get that right. Whereas oh, with homework, yeah. you know, I had that trying to help some too. students. Like, that's, yeah. uh, the work questions are even worse. Where It's like, okay, do my work for me. Sure. <laughs> you're getting paid to do that. <laughs> so but, yeah, uh, that's that's not good either. Let so, me get to the yeah. second part of Josh's question because he's a high school student. Yeah, um, I'm in the, my last year of high school, um, and in software design now, we are doing algorithms and stuff like that, and we have been writing them and we've been taught them using pseudocode um, because it's language ag- agnostic. And then when we go into our uh, final exam. Um, we, you know, the, the the market doesn't need to know every single language series out there. Um, I just want to know what you guys think of this and how I can go around, um, you know, checking if my pseudocode is correct or not. Um, obviously, there isn't like a, you know, a pseudocode uh, compiler or, you know, syntax checker. Um, our teacher has, you know, proposed desk checks where we go just, you know, go through and write down a table full of all the variables and, like, go through and pretend we're the computer. But, you know, obviously that being humans, we would make mistakes and wouldn't pick up everything the computer compiler would. I just want to know what you guys thought of that. Thanks. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think there's any kind of excuse for using pseudocode anymore in an algorithms class, although the truth is that, 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 that a lot of universities would teach it that way. They would, they would do an algorithms class on pseudocode just because um, – this is actually pretty common, and I think probably the, the key textbooks are going to do that. They're just going to use pseudocode. And um, in an algorithms class, um, I hate to say this, but the goal is not to get it right. In an algorithms class, the goal is to understand what it's supposed to do, theoretically, kind of, in your head, sort of big picture. Um, but also uh, a, a pretty common thing in an algorithms class is to analyze the performance, the big O notation performance of things, uh, of different algorithms. So um, actually doing it in code would probably cause you to spend a lot of time getting finicky things about the code to work that are not important to an algorithms teacher. I think they are important to being a programmer. They're just not important to an algorithm teacher. Right. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of pseudocode. I just feel like no. the sooner you can get developer in front of – I mean, to me that harkens yeah. back to the old days of when computer time was expensive – I mean, I know conceptually it's a little bit different, but to me, for some reason, spiritually, it well, feels like we're back in the bad old days of you got to write your program down on paper. The trouble is, if you totally ta- correct, if you take a senior in, in high school and you're trying to teach them bubble sort, and you tell them let's code this up, they're going to spend an extra. They're going to spend ten times as much time getting that code to work. This is very valuable time in learning how to program, and is highly recommended. But, but. If all you want them to do is understand that bubble sort is order of n squared, then you can do that with pseudocode, and you can talk about that with pseudocode, and it takes one-tenth as much time as it would take to code it up. And the trouble is, in an algorithms course, you just have to cover a lot of algorithms. There's a lot to learn. Um, you know, there's a lot of sorting and searching algorithms, even, which are just sort of the old, the old standard. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you'll even learn about NP-completeness, and you won't, you won't make it any kind of coding horror mistakes about <laughs> P I'm going to write another P. post about that. <laughs> why, don't you do, why don't you do that, Jeff? And, uh, and uh, hopefully you can get to that in your algorithms class. Um, and, uh, and um, yeah. So uh, I understand why they do the pseudocode. Um, it's, um, Josh, it sort of sounds like you're taking the perspective a little bit about, hey, why can't I just learn how to program? And it's true that there are a lot of programming languages. Python uh, is a great example that are very, very clean, very, very simple. And you don't have to do a whole lot of extra you don't, you don't have a, a whole lot of extra headaches trying to get things to work. But, but this is sort of a classic example where you really sort of fundamentally understood what uh, bubble sort is supposed to do in pseudocode, but it took you a bunch of extra hours to try to get it to work in Python. And that time you spent doing it, getting it to work in Python was teaching you to be a better programmer, which is not the algorithms teacher's job. Their job is to teach you computer science. And a particular part of the discipline of computer science is not programming. So, uh, anyway, that was that question. I had another question here. Yeah, go for it. We got a little bit of time. Hi, Joel and Jeff. 
As a recent recipient of Joel's not-quite-ready-yet rejection emails for the Fog Creek Stack Overflow position, it, it, I'd like to know if there's any guidance you can give an average to slightly above-average programmer to help them make the leap to a Fog Creek-level programmer. Is a few more years' experience really enough? What should I focus on? Does a good programmer without a CS degree really have a chance to get a job at Fog Creek? Thanks, guys. So, oh, wait, I can answer I, wait, yeah. No, no, no. I Should, can answer that. Yep. Start, develop bug tracking software that does exactly <laughs> what Fogbugs does. No. Sell it for a fraction of the price, and then become hugely successful, and then, like, make a million dollars, and then throw it all in Joel's face. Ah, it's too bad that Jason Calacanis is not here to tell you why that will not work. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's going to work about as well as that cooking Stack Overflow clone that we saw that didn't have any visitors. Oh, the cooking stuff. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Now I'll have to link it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I should answer this question, to be fair. We, we do have a form letter we give people that we reject. And the form letter says, um, we see many excellent candidates. True. <laughs> uh-huh. And just simply, you know, we're a small company and we simply cannot possibly hire them all. And we have to make some very hard decisions about who to hire. Um, but occasionally... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll write a not form letter, which I did for this person. And I'll either say something like, you know, we think in the future you're going to be a better programmer than you are right now. You're just not, ex- not experienced enough. Um, or uh, uh, usually it's that, actually. Um, and um, so, so sometimes we'll tell people, you know, we really want you to consider, you know, basically if you upgrade your skills, we don't think it's, we don't think it's that you'd never be able to do this job. We just think that you're not, not ready. And... Um, one of the things, there is something, and I think this may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing, but there is going to be a bias in our hiring process, not towards having a computer science degree necessarily, but two or three courses in the computer science curriculum. Um, things like uh, systems programming, uh, that algorithms course, and um, yeah, data, like data structures, systems programming. It's really like the two or three most programming intensive, like freshman to sophomore level computer science courses. The whole curriculum is not really necessary. So I would say if you don't have a computer science degree and we rejected you, that is um, likely just, you know, there's a certain class of programmer that um, comes at programming uh, from a very practical perspective. Uh, maybe they learned how to program in a higher level language. Somebody whose first language was PHP, um, you know, and then or or or, or Visual Basic, uh, or mm-hmm. HTML, and then they started copying JavaScript, and then they learned a little bit more about JavaScript, and then they got really good at JavaScript, and that's all they've ever done. Is probably going to flop very very quickly because when you ask them to do anything moderately low level, like invent an algorithm on the spot to solve a particular pr- problem that you give them, they just don't have enough experience to have done it. Um, you know, a typical, you know, a, a, a common Fog Creek interview is, is um, you'll, you'll be given a problem, some, some kind of data structure that nobody's ever heard of because we just invented it and, you know, asked to invent an algorithm that works on this data structure. And that's something that uh, you, you, you can kind of be taught and you do sort of have to in order to be a Fog Creek level programmer. You have to be able to do that kind of stuff. So, um, uh you know, what I would say is, um, you know, a f- there, there are a few key things that are taught often in computer science curriculum, which are either courses you could take or things you could study on your own. Um, a good start would be two books, The Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs, SICP by Abelson and Sussman, and work through all that and learn Lisp. And uh, like really the whole book. And then um, uh, a couple of books about um, C and Unix programming. So like I would start with the C programming language and then move on to um, the Unix programming environment. And if, if, you, did, if you did all that stuff, uh, and m- let's say an, an academic algorithms course, like Introduction to Algorithms, um, uh, what that, uh, who, are the, who are the authors? Let me look this up. Gosh darn it, I don't know it off the top of my head. Introduction to Algorithms. Oh, come on. Corman? Is that the book? Yes. Corman, Laserson, and Rivest. Rivest, I think, is, is, is well-known, and uh, Clifford Stein. So uh, Introduction to Algorithms. Looks like there's a second edition here. So if you worked your way through Structure Interpretation of Computer Programs, Introduction to Algorithms, the C, the C Programming Language, Kernahan and Ritchie, and the Unix Programming Environment, Kernahan and Pike, um, you would, you would um, 
filling all the all those gaps. That that, that, that I don't want to say that's computer science curriculum, but that's everything we need from the computer science curriculum um, to make you a good programmer. I like my answer better. Buy a fo- <laughs> become hugely successful, buy Fog Creek, and then just blow it up. And yeah, and first thing you can do the is fire building. <laughs> and then fire Joel. Make him walk down the street in shame. <laughs> then and only then will you have achieved victory. Ah. That's the, I think my way is the easier way, frankly. Do we want to uh, take it out, play the, play the exit music? <laughs> yes, let's do that. I listened to Jason Calacanis' podcast, by the way. It's called This Week in Startups. And um, I, I, I want you all to subscribe to it. It's a good podcast. If you enjoyed Jason Calacanis last week, go ahead and subscribe to This Week in Startups. Um, Twist, it's called. Um, but it has the stupidest intro music. What is it like? I'm not going to tell you because I want you all to listen to one episode. The intro music okay. is just ridiculous. It's like such poser Los Angeles entourage BS. It's just really? it's just an absolute embarrassment to well, that, to, to uh, start up is like Jane's addiction, isn't it? Um, I think it is. Maybe. I could be wrong. It's you know it's it, it's it's not the entourage startup music. It's it's like entourage wannabe semi rap LA cool like like I'm an LA rapper. Right. Rolling with my my boys. <laughs> kind of. You got to hear it. You got to hear it. And you'll just laugh. You'll okay. be like, really? This is the introduction to This Week in Startup? That it's, just, it's just hilarious. Jason, okay. change your no, friggin' music. No, I'm going to listen to it. Yeah. The one I would actually uh, know, uh, which, which episode should you get? Let's see. Um, well, there's, there's five episodes up there right now. And um, uh, number five is really good. Number four is pretty good. Number three is good. Number two okay, is pretty good. So- so number five. I couldn't get number one to work. Whatever. Just pick an episode of Twist. Listen to that funny music. And listen to it. It's, it's good. It's two and a half hours of Jason Calacanis. Two and um, a half hours Yeah, an episode? Uh, yes. And he's just Are a, you kidding me? Yeah. And he must. He's, he's just the most hyperactive. Wow. Um, good show for those of you that enjoyed Jason last week. Okay. Um, well, I'll check it out. I don't have any other real announcements. So you want to take it out, Jeff? Give, uh, sure. give our usual like. So if, if you have, uh, of course, I don't have that. In front of me, as usual, as per podcast bingo. Wait, I'm getting it up. So I, if I you have it. a question for yeah. us, yep. you can email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. Uh, you can also call us. We have a dedicated number at 646-826-3879, where you can record up to 90 seconds of audio. And please leave your name. We also have a wiki where people who can't hear the podcast can go in and, and read the transcript so if you want to contribute to that uh, we really appreciate contributions there and did i forget anything joel yeah don't forget to sign up real quick before it runs out for stack overflow dev days at uh, dev days dot uh, dev uh, sorry stack dot dot com yep dev days don't forget about dev days Woohoo! that's it see you next week i guess that's it bye bye You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.